and all God's people said, Amen. All right. Well, you may be seated again. Welcome to Mercy Fellowship, where we are saved by Jesus' work. We are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. And that means that we believe that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and who love people. It is a joy to get to gather with you guys here this morning on Independence Day weekend. Just glad you guys uh, could gather. And, you know, we want to make sure you could come. Like, we've had so much sun in the Northwest. We just thought this is a good indoor day. Um, and so just come on inside and glad you're here. Um, I just want to remind you that two weeks from uh, this morning, two weeks from today, uh, we won't be here. Uh, we'll be gathering at North Cove Park in Lake Stevens for an outdoor service. So we're really excited uh, for that. Uh, we'll have worship. We'll uh, have a sermon. We'll take communion. Um, if, if there's people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, we'll do some baptisms. Uh, and then we've got a barbecue ready. Hamburgers, hot dogs, all the food taken care of for that. And so uh, bring uh, a lawn chair, uh, bring a blanket, bring, uh, uh, you know, whatever you need to kind of hang out throughout the day. We've got a playground right there. Uh, we've got the beach right there. And so super excited to get to do that in a couple of weeks. And so uh, what we're going to do today is um, continue to move along in our series in the book of First John. So typically we just preach right through books of the Bible. Uh, and so um, we're going to be in First John chapter 5 verses 6 through 12. And so on your way in, you should have gotten a scripture journal, um, and you should have gotten a discipleship guide um, that lets you know where we're at. And so this uh, one is going to be, uh, what are we looking at here? We are looking at week number 10, uh, abiding in, oh, sorry, ha, I can't even count today. Week 11, abiding in um, uh, witnesses. And so uh, in these verses, uh, 5, verses 6 and 12, uh, what John is going to do is he's going to kind of give us three kind of key handles for us to try to understand what is life with Christ and life in Christ and with Christ look like. And so we name this series Abide uh, because it's just a word that gets used often uh, in this letter that John writes to this church. And it means to, to not depart, to be held and kept continually, to endure, to not perish to remain as one, to survive, and ultimately to, to live. And so John is preaching to and he's talking to uh, a large uh, church in uh, Ephesus that he knows and loves, and he knows that they are struggling to feel secure. They are struggling to endure. They're struggling to feel like they're kept. They're struggling to feel like they have life that, that, that is uh, actually flourishing and joyful. And I think that's where some of us might be. Right? We want to be secure. We want to endure. We want to be connected and held together. Right? We don't want to be disconnected and separate. No, we want to be brought together. We want to survive, and we also want to more than just survive. We want to have life and have life that is uh, abundant. And yet we know that there's enemies to that. There's our own sin, there's division in uh, the world, there's these events that rock our sense of security, and so we don't find ourselves strong, we find ourselves weak. We don't find ourselves um, stable, we find ourselves divided and frustrated. We don't find ourselves uh, in a place ready to overcome adversity, uh, but rather to kind of fold. And, and so there's these, these things that kind of rock our sense of security. And, and then um, when we just think about maybe the last several years in our culture, 
culture and in our country as we look towards like a supposedly unifying day like Independence Day, we, we actually say, no, no, actually, we're very divided people. We're very disintegrated people. We're, we're divided along so many different lines. We're not remaining as one. And so we wonder, is our marriage gonna survive? Are our families gonna endure? Are our communities going to flourish? And so we begin to search and search and we wanna grasp for anything that we think will, will give us joy, anything that we think will give us a sense of true uh, abiding, being held continually, enduring. And our pursuit of security and peace and life, I mean, that's an important pursuit. But let me just tell you, it, it's, it's not gonna end it's not gonna end until, until we're met by the God who's been pursuing us, who pursues us for peace, for security, for life now and forever. And so that longing that we have to be brought together, that longing we have to endure, that longing we have uh, for life can and will only be satisfied in and through Jesus Christ. It can only come from God, and, and God knows this. And that's why God sent Jesus to us. He knows that we can pursue and search and, and hope for everything we can try to achieve and, and try, to, try to reconnect with God, but he knows that gap is too big, that difference is too great. The only way to close it is for him to come to us. And so Jesus arrives on the scene, and we get from God what we can only get from God. Jesus comes with a purpose. And so today in these verses, we're gonna see kind of three key events in the ministry of Jesus that bring us life and lead us to greater purpose. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn to 1 John chapter five. I'm gonna start in verses six through eight. It says this, talking about Jesus. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. Okay, we're gonna stop right here. We believe in a God as Christians who arrives. We believe in a God who, who shows up who shows up in our circumstances, who shows up in our hearts, who shows up in human history. And so John's talking to this church. He's saying, hey, we believe in a God who showed up in Jesus, who arrived into history. The people that John is writing to, they find themselves farther away from God. They find themselves disconnected from God. And they maybe had an experience early on or they joined a church early on or they felt like, yeah, I was connected to God. But as they went through their journey in life, they find themselves just being choked out by this Greco-Roman culture that is full of gods but is godless. That doesn't honor the God of the Bible. That doesn't recognize the creator of the universe. And so they find themselves discouraged. They find themselves in doubt. They wonder if God is, is distant. Maybe some of them begin to wonder, is God even real? Is that work that I felt that he did earlier in my life, is, it, was that a lasting thing or was that just an experience I had? Was that a phase that I had and now I've matured or now I've moved on to something else or I've found something else that, that works better? 
And so when there's doubt and discouragement, our God says, hey, I know you have doubt. I know you discouraged. So my answer for you in your doubt and discouragement is to remind you and point you back to Jesus Christ. That he came as God's Christ, that word meaning savior king of God's people. The implication being that God's people needed a savior and needed a king. We need a savior. We need a king. And in their days, before Jesus showed up, there was this sense of anticipation. There was a desire for things to be different and better than they were. And, and I think that we're not so different. I mean, don't we all want things to be just at least a little bit better than they are now? Or a little more unified, a little more healing? We want to be able to anticipate like, like a better future. We want hope. And so those people and this person, and I think these people and all people, right? We, we long for leadership. We long for healing. We long for wholeness. We long for restoration where there's been brokenness. We want to see evil overcome. We want to see our wounds healed. We want to see our shame taken away. We want to see and be reconnected to the God who knows us and loves us. We want a champion who will overcome injustice, a champion who will overcome evil, a champion who leads us to hope, not fear, who unites us, not divides us, and keeps away what devours hope, joy, and life. And he's saying Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the champion that we long for. He is the deliverer that we seek and that we need. And so the rest of these verses, right, he's, he's talking water, he's talking blood, he's talking spirit, like they can be a little confusing. And so let me just try to, try to break this down the, the best way that I know how, uh, that really the way I see these and after reading some commentaries and kind of just doing a little bit of work was, was these are three kind of trial witnesses. These are three examples these are three, three moments in Jesus' ministry, moments in history. That John's saying, when you're discouraged, when you're doubting, like, let's get back to the fundamentals of who Jesus is. And so he starts with the first one. He starts with the water. What does the water mean? Well, it's referring to Jesus' baptism, right? Each one of these is actual events that happen, actual events in the Bible. And so the first one, water, is Jesus' baptism, the, the Jesus, right, born into a family, um, you know, he, he lives kind of a, a humble existence. He, for the first 30 years of his life, right, just kind of focused on, on work and community and family, uh, right, um, and, and, and he's pretty obscure. But he had this public ministry, and a lot of what we read about in the Bible is Jesus' public ministry, and that, that public ministry had an initiation point. It had a, a starting point where it's like, hey, this is the time where Jesus went from kind of marginalized to, to everyone knowing this is the Messiah that we need to, to follow. There's a commencement point, and that point is, is his baptism. And, and so it's this event that each gospel writer, if you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all point to this as the moment where Jesus' public ministry began. 
And so what's, what's going on with that, right? Because we talk about baptism here sometimes. It's, it's a little bit different what was going on back then. What, what was going on back then is, in this time was there's a lot of people that were disaffected, maybe deconstructed from religion. They're like, it's not working for me. I, I know that, that I'm a sinner. Uh, actually, I, I have sin, and I don't know if this sacrificial system's working, or hey, there's a lot of religious Pharisees, and they're pouring in a, a whole bunch uh, more rules on me. And then there's this whole really licentious culture that gets sexuality wrong and spirituality wrong. I don't know what to do. And in that environment, this this prophet arises. His name's John. And what John did is he went out into the wilderness and, you know, he's a bit of a character, right? He's he's wearing camel skin, it says. He's got a leather belt and it said that he ate honey and locusts. So like, I mean, I know there's like a lot of plant-based and like bug-based proteins now. John was pretty like cutting edge on that stuff, right? So, so he's out there, he's in the wilderness. And, and what he's doing is, is he's calling people to come from the cities, come from the communities, come out, and, and it said that they were searching for something. They came out into the wilderness because they knew that there had to be a deeper sense of connection. They knew that there had to be something more real and tangible than the systems and structures that they were experiencing at that moment. And so John was baptizing them, that they knew that they had sin. They knew that the sin had impacted them and it infected them. It had covered them. Some of it was sin that they'd done. Some of it was sin that was done to them. And so in that, they knew they needed to be clean. And John goes to the wilderness, preaches them. He says, hey, you need to repent from your sin. Actually turn and follow what's good and right. Know that the kingdom of God is coming. Know that the kingdom of heaven is here. He's kind of a precursor for Jesus' arrival. Um, and, and, and he's like, you need to be prepared because a king is coming. And we read about this in um, uh, Mark chapter one, verse four and eight says this. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So he's really clear what it's doing. You have sin. You need to be forgiven of that sin in order to be clean, in order to be in the presence of this God, King, Savior that's about to show up. All of the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. Okay, they're confessing their need for forgiveness. They're showing up with a sense of humility. Yes, there's a whole bunch of problems in the world. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of problems with these people and especially those people. But I've got problems. More than just problems. Actually, I've got, I've got sin that needs to be dealt with. Before I can start even thinking about what's going on out there, this has to get clean first. And so, it says, now John was clothed with camel's hair, wore a leather belt around his waist, ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached Okay, so he didn't have everybody out there and was like, okay, what do you think baptism means to you? Like, you know, hey, what, what do, you, do, what do, you, do all roads just kind of lead to the same place? Like, he's like, no, no, I've got a message. I want to proclaim what's clear and what's true. And he says, after me comes one who's mightier than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So even in John's sermon, he's always preaching like, repent, be baptized, the kingdom of heaven is coming. And here he's talking specifically about Jesus' arrival. He's like, I'm just a guy, all I can do is get you dunked in the water 
It's a ceremony, it's a symbol, but let me tell you, Jesus is gonna come, and what he's gonna do is he's gonna give you the Holy Spirit, which is actually going to renew your heart and soul. It's actually going to cleanse you of your sin. And so as they gathered out in the wilderness, um, right, like, we're like, oh, this, we get this. Like, yeah, let's leave the cities. Like, like, maybe after this, you're gonna go camping, right? You're gonna go hiking, right? We're here in the Northwest, right? The mountains are calling, not all who wander or lost, right? Well, in this case, this is a bunch of people saying, no, like, we know we're lost. We've been wandering. We're not going in the wilderness to check out. We're actually going to the wilderness to gather together as a community of people who have humility and are aware of their need and reliance as God for their salvation. And so John's out there baptizing people, meeting this real longing they have to be made new, to be clean. And then in the middle of one of these kind of big revival services, if you will, John's there in the water. People are coming in and out. He's baptizing them. He's like, hey, you, you, know, you, you know, are you repenting of your sins? Okay, you're forgiven, all that coming out. And, and he's in line, or he's down there in the water, and, and the line is going, and he queues up, and, and in comes into the Jordan, Jesus. And John knows Jesus, right? They're, they're, they're related, right? They're, you know, kind of distant cousins. Uh, and, and so he knows Jesus, He's like, this is the guy I was telling you guys about. This is the one who I said, like, I'm not even fit to untie his sandals. This is the savior king of God's people. This is the one who's gonna usher in a new kingdom. He's, this is the one who's gonna uh, usher in and ultimately bring a new creation. And, and Jesus like, he's like, John's like, hey, do you, do you wanna preach? You know, do you got something to do, Jesus? Like, like you should just take over. And Jesus says, no, 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 actually, um, you're gonna baptize me. And John's like, whoa, no, you should, be, you should be baptizing me. I mean, I'm the locust, like, you know, uh, you know, honey and camel skin guy, right? I'm crazy John. You're Jesus. Okay, Jesus actually didn't say John was like the greatest man ever born of woman. And so like, I probably shouldn't call him crazy John. Like when I meet him in heaven, he's gonna give me those eyes and be like, I remember that one sermon you gave. He's like, he's like he was probably the only one listening. Okay, all right. No, instead Jesus tells John, I need to be baptized for the purposes of bringing righteousness to the people. You can read that in Matthew 3, verse 15. So Jesus is baptized, and if you read the accounts of this, it says that the heavens opened up, that that God with a loud voice, God the Father spoke, and he said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And then it says, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. This is a picture of what Christians call the Trinity. You've got the Father proclaiming the Son, the Holy Spirit descending uh, like a dove, and you have Jesus there present. And like, a lot of people saw this, right? This wasn't like a, like a private baptism ceremony done somewhere. Like, like, people saw this. And so they're saying, John the Baptist, sorry, not John the Baptist, John the Apostle who wrote um, 1 John, he's saying, hey, Ephesian church, remember the first thing, like they really got Jesus' ministry going. The first public act that said, this is the inauguration of a new season. It was Jesus' baptism. He's reminding them of this supernatural moment where heaven broke down into earth and said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Holy Spirit descended on like a dove because this showed Jesus' identity. Jesus was and is the Son of God. 
Jesus was and is the Savior King of God's people. And so that first witness is important for a sense of um, Jesus' identity. I mean, that, that's really, really important that you get who Jesus is correctly. But it's even more than that because Jesus' um, baptism ceremony had a purpose. And yes, one purpose was revealing the divine nature of Jesus to the people. But it also helped inform, or rather um, uh, enlighten us to Jesus' purpose for being. Jesus' purpose for showing up. Jesus' purpose for his ministry. See, um, everybody else that went to be baptized by John knew they had sin, had sin, and knew that it had to be dealt with. Everyone that John baptized was in that condition, except for Jesus, because Jesus was and is sinless. Jesus was and is clean and pure. Jesus had no need to be baptized. He had nothing to repent of. He had nothing done to him, he had no shame that had to be, be cleaned off. He had no sin that he needed to own. So what Jesus was doing was identifying with his people who had sin that needed to be dealt with. So in the baptism of John and Jesus being baptized, what Jesus is saying is, I'm with you. I'm with you in your sin. I'm with you in your shame. I'm with you as you feel disconnected from God. I am with you when things have been done to you that make you feel more distant from God. I'm here with you. And, and, and let's get, let me get this correct. While Jesus is with you in your sin, he's not there to comfort you in your sin. He's not there to celebrate your sin. Rather, he's there to cleanse you from it. To actually move you from a place of being stained by sin to being clean and righteous before God. In his baptism, Jesus is saying, I know you need to be clean, so I'm going to identify with your need to be clean so you can identify with me. So you can abide in me, you can be held and kept continually by me and be made clean as I am clean. Because we do believe that sin makes us dirty, that sin stains, that sin defiles, and it's true of our sin, it's true of the sins that have been committed against us. And so I want you to ask yourself, where do you need to be made clean? What has been done to you or what have you done it has given you a sense of defilement. What needs to be cleaned off? See, this is what Jesus offers in the gospel. To make us clean of all of our sin that defiles us. The sins you've committed and those that have been done to you. That is new life in Jesus. So John's saying to this church that's feeling disconnected, that's feeling discouraged, he's saying, don't Forget, Jesus identifies with you in his sin, in your sin rather. He knows you in your sin and he says, I'm here with you and I'm here to make you clean. 
All right, witness number two. Number one is the water, where it says, Jesus is saying, I'm with you. Number two is the blood. This is, of course, talking about Jesus on the cross. That water apparently isn't enough to make you clean from what stains our souls, that Jesus' ministry, right, it publicly begins with this baptism, right, um, and then it leads to the culmination of his mission as the Christ on the cross. And it's there that Jesus um, had gone through this, this trial where he'd been, been tried and, and found guilty of, of blasphemy. They're saying, hey, the, your big sin is you're claiming to be God. And, and man, if, if Jesus really wanted to go full defense attorney, he could have been like, well, there was that time I got baptized in the wilderness where heaven opened up and God the Father said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descended on me like a dove. There's a whole bunch of witnesses there. But see, after a few years of Jesus doing miracles, of Jesus um, preaching sermons, of Jesus doing healings, of Jesus walking on water, uh, of Jesus, um, you know, feeding people and all sorts of things, the outcome of his public ministry was ultimately everyone in the world in some way, shape, or form either rejected him, reviled him, didn't show up for him. And Jesus was tried and killed as a like, treasonous criminal to Rome, as a religious uh, um, you, you know, terrorist who's trying to lead people away, um, when really he's saying, no, I, I'm, I'm calling people to faith in me. I am who I say I am. And so when Jesus went to the cross, it was undeserved. Right? It wasn't because he actually committed a real crime. It wasn't like, well, I mean, like Jesus, Jesus was actually crucified between two thieves, between two people who had broken Roman law who were worthy of their punishment. In this case, though, Jesus going to the cross, he is God, he is the creator. John 1 says that in the beginning was God and the word was with God and, and he was there in the beginning of creation. And so Jesus, as he's going up to the cross, like with all authority in the entire universe, same God who spoke the universe into existence, before those nails were driven into his hands, he could have commanded them to just turn to mush and not even break his skin. At any point on that cross, Jesus could have, could have gotten down and said, rebellion over, you guys have all rejected me, I'm hitting the reset button on this whole thing but he endured it. He went to the cross because he despises our shame. He went to the cross to pay for our sins. Colossians says that that Jesus took our debt of sin with him and nailed it to the cross. So John's telling that church Hey, yeah, remember his baptism. Remember how his public ministry began. And remember how his public earthly ministry culminated at the cross. That Jesus lived a perfect life that none of us have lived. That his death on the cross was one that we all deserve for our sin. Because sin separates us from God. 
And because it separates us from God, it will lead us to death and destruction. And the reason that is, is not because God's capricious or God's like, you hurt my feelings. But no, you in sin have been separated from God. God is the source of life. He is the source of joy and meaning and purpose. So for you and I in our sin to be separated from God is to be cut off from that source of life and joy and purpose. And you cannot endure, be held continually and thrive in life if you're cut off from the source of it. It will lead to your destruction. And because God is an eternal God, when we have sin that separates us from God, it separates us eternally. And God knows this. And we believe in a God who's just. And we believe in a God who is also really merciful and really compassionate, who takes sin seriously and brings mercy and grace in space. Because for God to be merciful and just, he says, there are consequences for sin. It is being cut off. It is ultimately death and destruction. He's like, they can't fix themselves on their own. They can't deal with their sin. So God and Jesus deals with it for us. This is why we talk about Jesus Christ as our substitute on the cross. That Jesus died in our place. That Jesus' death on the cross, it wasn't necessary for him, it was necessary for you and me. He went to the cross for you and me because of our sin. Because God is good, God is holy, God is perfect, and we are not. And God's answer for that is Jesus Christ on the cross where he takes our sin seriously. Sin is serious. It is serious enough that that God says there needs to be an eternal sacrifice for it. There needs to be a sinless sacrifice for it for our sin, and that's Jesus. So before we bemoan, say, you know, you're just taking sin, I don't think sin's that big a deal. No, we believe that that God says it's a big deal. And you're like, well, gosh, if God thinks it's such a big deal, I mean, shouldn't he do something about it? He did, in sending Jesus to die for you on the cross. That God's answer for your sin is Jesus. God's answer for your pride is greater humility and reliance on him to realign us back to who and how we were meant to be. That we are already people dependent on God. That in acknowledging our need for a savior, we're just confessing what's already true about us. That we have sin and that only God can reconcile that relationship. And so, The cross is where our debt of sin is paid. The righteous wrath of God is is poured out on Jesus so it doesn't have to be poured out on us. And so we believe that Jesus is our advocate and our substitute. So in baptism, right, Jesus is saying, I am with you. On the cross, Jesus is saying, I am for you. I am for you. Saying, I'm for you so much that I am going to suffer the death you deserve. I'm going to take the wrath that you deserve for sin. 
I know you need to be saved from wrath. I know you can't bear the consequences for your sin, so I'm gonna take it so you don't have to. So I want you to ask yourself, where have you sinned? And where do you need to confess to God your reliance on him? And where do you need to recognize that the cross of Jesus Christ, God has paid for your sin so that you can be forgiven and set free from that bondage? Where have you claimed allegiance to yourself or someone less than God where you need to repent and receive mercy and grace that comes from him? What do you need to be saved from? Whatever sin that is, Jesus says, I'll I'll take that. In fact, I I knew I was going to the cross before you even knew you were going to sin like that. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knows everything about you. Every sin you've committed, every sin you will commit, he knows you on your worst day. He says, I'll take that for you so that you can live for eternity with him now and forever. So the death of Jesus in your place is the death of your sin condemning you. Jesus says, it is finished. And that's why I believe that the gospel is is good news. So John says, hey, if you're discouraged, you're feeling disconnected, remember Jesus' identity. Remember his baptism where he says that I'm with you. And then remember his cross and what he did for you where he says, I am for you. And then John says, there's even more. There's even more than just God knowing you in your sin. There's even more than God just taking care of your sin, which is, again, still a pretty big deal. Witness number three, the Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. That if you believe in Jesus as your Savior, that it bonds you into a new family. It makes you a citizen of a new kingdom. It makes you part of a new people and community. And so he's talking about another event that after Jesus' death, his burial, we believe that Jesus resurrected. We actually believe in a Jesus Christ who is alive. And we believe that Jesus is alive, he's resurrected, he died in our place so that we can arise with him. And so in this he's showing, hey, I've overcome death. I'm stronger than death. I've defeated death and sin. You can trust who I am. And he says, hey, I'm gonna give these people a mission. And their mission is going to be to go and make disciples of all nations. To go and tell people uh, to, to, to actually observe and follow the commands of God. To receive forgiveness. To walk in new life. To, to, to live on his mission. To love God. To love people. And, and in that, that great commission, right, it says, it says, behold, hey look guys, I'm going to be with you always to the end of the age. And then he ascends into heaven. And we're like, hold up. I thought you said you were going to be with us. Like, 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 he's ascended back into heaven. Like, that doesn't feel like with us. He says, well, no, actually, remember that, that Holy Spirit descended on me like a dove? I'm actually going to pour out the Holy Spirit on my people. The, the, there's actually going to be a, a moment where the Holy Spirit breaks through and, and brings new life and, and ushers in a new covenant, a new promise. And so that actually happened. 
You can read about it in uh, Acts chapter one and Acts chapter two, where there's this, this like um, religious nationalistic festival called Pentecost, kind of like the, 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 the Independence Day for God's people, right? And so, so at Pentecost on 4th of July weekend for Israel, where they're celebrating uh, the law being given, right? Like, you know, somebody's gonna wear a t-shirt with the constitution on it, you know, right at the barbecue, right? We all got that uncle. Maybe you are that uncle. That's all right. If you got a constitution t-shirt, that's pretty rad, okay? He's like, no, no, this is when God gave his law. This is when God had delivered us from slavery. God made us a nation. God carried us through the wilderness and then he, and he gave us this land of, of milk and honey. That's what they're celebrating. And, and like them and like us, like they kind of they, they, they thought that the, the blessings of the nation they were in was because they were so great. And, and it's like, no, no, no. God's the one who gives all the blessings. And so in this, in this festival where all of these people, this religious holiday, where all these people had come in to Jerusalem from a whole bunch of different uh, nations and languages. You've got, you've got dozens and dozens of languages and races represented. And it says that the Holy Spirit poured out on a group of like 120, like, like a church about our size today. And it poured out on them and they're out there and they're telling everybody about Jesus. And then Peter gets up and preaches this amazing sermon where all he does is walk through the Old Testament about how it points to Jesus, tells everybody to repent. And they're like, now what do we do? He's like, get baptized. And, and, and it like led to, to new life. And what was so amazing about it is every single person heard the gospel in their own language. That's what the Holy Spirit did that that was the witness that everybody, not that they all understood um, Greek or, or Hebrew or Aramaic, but that as Peter was speaking in his native language, they were hearing it in theirs. That God was building bridges and all of those bridges across races and cultures uh, and, 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 and socioeconomic status uh, and languages, all of those bridges were bringing people together under and in the name of Jesus. And it was beautiful. And it led to this expansive, world-changing community that has endured for a couple thousand years and has crossed all sorts of barriers. Barriers in culture, barriers in language, barriers in race, barriers in socioeconomic status. It's gone across continents Empires have risen and fallen and the people of God and the church of Jesus Christ have endured. And so John's telling this church, hey, you're discouraged because you're in this really Greek, Roman, like pagan world. Don't worry because the Holy Spirit has shown up. What that means is the mission of God Yes, you are a part of if you're a Christian. And you get to participate in if you're a Christian. But praise God, it's not up to you. Praise God, it's not up to me or even up to us. No, if, if in the baptism Jesus is saying, I'm with you in your sin. If on the cross Jesus is saying, I'm for you, I'll deal with your sin. In the arrival of the Holy Spirit, 
Jesus is saying, I am present among you. I'm going to work in and through you. And I will empower you for the mission I have for you. And that should be encouraging. That when we talk about our sin being washed away in baptism and the blood of the cross, you're making us clean and making us new, that it's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to actually walk out a new life of repentance. That you're no longer enslaved to those same sins. That you have the opportunity to be made new. That you actually have new desires and a new purpose for your life. that Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit empowers his people to accomplish the mission he has for them. And so where have you been saved and clean, but you still are feeling disconnected or you haven't been properly deployed for mission? This is an opportunity to, to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to empower you for the mission he has for you. Or maybe it's for the Holy Spirit to actually find you and meet you in your brokenness and bring you a sense of wholeness that leads you to a place of peace. Yes, ultimately there's a day where there's no more sin, suffering, or tears. Yes, there's a day where we'll be perfected and glorified with God. We we believe that. But until that day, to, to give you peace and wholeness that sustains, that 